Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Happy and blessed Tuesday to everybody out there, and welcome to episode, what are we on, 487, I believe, of the Welcome to Asgard podcast, where tonight we're going to talk about the worst films of 2023. I've been talking about this for a while that we, uh, sorry, 478. Let me, let me correct that. We're on episode 478 of the Welcome to Asgard podcast, but I have been talking for quite a bit about how my list for the best movies of the year is going to take just a little bit longer. There are still a ton of films that I still need to see, and a few of them have been contenders in other people who I trust list, and so obviously I want to be able to give those films a fair shot before I give my definitive best and uh, in that case the best of 2023 there aren't a whole lot of movies that I have heard bad things about or that I have suspected I will not have a lot of positive opinions about that I have yet to see and so I'm very confident that my list of I was able to get 17 sorry 18 of the worst movies for me at least of the year 2023 films that I thought were either incredible disappointments to the films that were just downright awful in in almost every single way. And so we're going to be talking about a a ton of films, a plethora of films tonight. And of course, we'll have our typical box office discussion because I did some number crunching. And uh, if you follow me on on X on Twitter, you've you've probably already seen this, but I still have no idea how the MonsterVerse is making money financially. And I mean that simply from the films themselves. Uh, as you all know, I've been going on a tear recently of of going into the box office and and just stripping things down to okay, let let's go region by region here. Let's go domestic, international, China, and, and let's see what the actual numbers seem to be indicating. And I did some number crunching and found that the MonsterVerse has not turned a profit. In fact, only one of the films in the MonsterVerse has actually even made money, and it barely made eighty. And now again, we're talking just box office here. We're talking just money made at the theater, so we're not talking specifically about anything made post-theatrical or any other of those extra things. I will also say that this is just talking about the movies themselves and not necessarily the studios, right? I think Toho is coming out of this whole deal very, very strong. I think that's very clear by the fact that they've been able to make films like Shin Godzilla and, of course, more recently, Godzilla Minus One, and they are the pure winner of this because they're the ones getting paid to be able to, you know, give the rights to Legendary, to be able to give the rights uh, for distribution over to Warner Brothers, and ultimately, it's just their massive payday. I just, I still don't quite understand, though, and this, this is kind of like the big thing for me, is where in the world is Legendary and, and Warner Brothers getting any money from this? I, it's, a, it's an honest question. As, as you all know, I am, you know, very, very much critical of the MonsterVerse. I think the MonsterVerse is trash. But at the same time, looking at just just as as objectively as I can, from a just pure movie standpoint, it's hard to see where the money for specifically talking here about not Toho, but talking about Warner Brothers as the distributor and specifically Legendary as the financier of this of this franchise. And so we'll talk about that amongst other things as well. Before going any further though, please make sure yes, smash that like button, light up that fire button on Osti and smash the rumble button as well. And let's go ahead and say hello to the people in the chat. So first off, we got 
a member chat. Member chat from the old guard who's been a member for 26 months. Thank you very much, good sir, for being a member for 26 months. Saying belated happy new year. Blessed new year to you as well. Uh, Story we got. Uh, by the way, story uh, for tonight's start being a little bit closer to 7.30. I've been trying to start closer to 7.15, um, but I will say, unfortunately, uh, Baby Thor did get sick today. In fact, I actually have to pull up the monitor. It looks like he may have already actually passed out. Uh, poor guy. Uh, so he had his first trip to the dentist today, and um, we think he somehow, at the same time, simultaneously got a stomach bug and unfortunately uh my wife who's in the process of going back to work she's part-time and and all this other craziness uh you know now that now that you know baby uh baby sif is three months old and so because of that uh, i've had to stay home with him all day and she had some meetings but you know luckily he's he's a little trooper he he's an awesome 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 little guy and uh we were able to finally get him some medicine and he was finally able to keep some stuff down so uh, thank you again in advance for always understanding when things like this happen and please keep baby Thor in your prayers again, a lot better. He was acting completely the same, completely normal, uh, tonight, uh, at bedtime, his typical crazy self. So that definitely makes me feel a lot better. Um, but obviously when it comes to things like this, you just never know until you can go at least like 24 hours without anything actually happening. So again, appreciate y'all always for, for understanding those things and old guard. Happy and blessed new year to you. Let's see. Uh, and because of that, I was not able to get any of the early chats up. So if you did chat early, uh, I do apologize. Let me see if I can maybe skim through some of the early YouTube chats and see if anything was there. Ryan Liu was here early. He is a member. So I'll read that comment saying, how do you feel about the new Mando movie? Are they even making a new Mando movie? I had not heard about that. That, that's news to me. I don't typically keep up with those things, especially when I'm, you know, especially during the work week when I'm, you know, focused on working <laughs> and things like that. Keely Chow, what's up? Orange Chat Reviews, thank you again for being here. Uh, and again, Orange Chat laying down the law. Please follow those rules. Physics Channel with Kenny Lee, what is going on? I don't really have a whole lot of interest in The Beekeeper, and the early reviews that I've seen over on Criticalist have not been great. So I, I don't really have a lot of motivation to go and see it. Uh, print screen in the chat. Kimberly G was here as well. Blessed Tuesday to you. Uh, let's see. Print screen. Bruce was in the chat early. Gary Banjo Sandwich Worthington hail to you. Uh, says, I've been on fire with Criticalist reviews, so check them out. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. Check out Gary Banjo Sandwich Worthington as well because he's been on fire as well. Yeah, so if you follow me on Criticalist, I do apologize slightly because I realized I had not yet scored uh, some of the films that were on my worst list. So they were not in any particular order uh, initially. And so I was trying, finally trying to actually finalize the order of the worst movies of the year. And so I needed to actually get the scores out for the other films that I had not yet reviewed. Some of the films, especially from earlier in the year before I you know, discovered the amazing site that is Criticalist. And so I, again, apologize. I had a lot of quick reviews out uh, in a very short amount of time. But that was the reason as to why. I, I was doing that. So, again, thank y'all. All right, now to the chat that I can highlight. Uh, again, there is Bruce hanging out. Master of Gaming is here. What's going on? Gmonkey76, hail to you. Thank you for being here. The Morak, who is a member. What is going on, Morak? Thank you for being here. Kimberly G, who is a member, says, Rewatch John Wick 4 better the second time. The colors, the cinematography are outstanding. The marquee is always gold, I noticed today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also just love that character. You know, I think that one of the things that's often overlooked by some who are not as, 
big of a fan of John Wick 4, <clears throat> especially those of a salty variety. Uh, much love to the salty nerds, but on this point, we we digress. On this and on Godzilla Minus One, uh, we, we digress. I think that they're two of the best films of the year, and they're two fantastic solid films, and, and they think that they are overrated. And I believe that they are completely wrong on that point. But one of the things that I love about John Wick 4 especially is, again, the world building that is done and the fact that every film is able to somehow add more and more and more to that world building, making it ever more interesting, ever more, you know, wanting me to to dive further into it. And it's stuff like that that they establish in the main films that make things like The Continental, this, this great miniseries that they created, you know, this prequel series by completely different filmmakers, uh, but still rooted in that same universe. Those only work because of the foundation that's laid by the movies. And that's why I'm so excited for Ballerina. We talked about this last stream. Right? We talked last stream about my most anticipated films of 2024. And one of them, you know, towards the top of my list, number two, I believe, was Ballerina. Uh, the new film with Anna de Armas, who is set to take place in this, you know, not exactly a prequel. It's like this film that's supposed to be in between John Wick films. But those can only happen and those can only work if the world building is is effective and is strong in the uh, you know in the main movies, and that's the one thing I think John Wick has always done very well. Uh, Rob D, what is going on? Super anime gamer says, "Hell, what is up, my dude? How have you and the family been? Uh, other than sick, again, baby Thor has been sick, um, but as I mentioned, I, I've got him on my." Uh, I've got the monitor up right now, and I think he's already asleep. He normally it normally takes him uh, sometimes an hour plus to fall asleep. He just is can't turn off the brain type, and uh, but he obviously struggled a lot today being sick and did not nap very well, so he was very much tired from from what I can see. So hopefully he gets a very good night's sleep and feels even better tomorrow. He was already. You know, it's one of those things where it's kind of amazing how quickly kids bounce back, right? Because when they're sick, it's just oh, so sad. You know, it's it's almost pathetic, but it's just like oh, your heart goes out. Um, but then as soon as they're well or they're even starting to feel like a tinge better, all of a sudden it's like they're jumping on their trampoline again and jumping on his bed, like literally doing monkeys. You know, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. That that was Baby Thor before bedtime. So. Um, just, just to kind of give you an idea of, of, of where he is in his recovery. Let's see. Ikthulu, what's going on? It says, good evening and happy Tuesday to you as well. Master Gaming says, why do certain YouTubers say Barbie isn't anti-male? Uh, anyone who is trying to defend that movie, specifically the, uh, the very clear political messaging that that film has, is either ignorant or is nefarious. And I, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic there, but you either have to be completely ignorant of the messaging of the movie, right? You have to just completely not grasp the clear messaging of the movie, which is a very hard thing to do. Or you have to be willingly, you know, saying things that you know not to be true. Because the other thing that I, I always go back to, right? Because there are some people who are trying to argue like there were some who were even trying to go the route of saying oh it's actually it's actually like anti-woke and it's actually based and etc it's like look if you know anything about the filmmaker it tells you all you need to know if you're trying to find some deeper meaning in the movie all you need to do is say okay who directed it who wrote it Greta Gerwig look at any of the films that she has done and I think the best example is Marriage Story if you want to get her mindset and if you want to have almost a, a decoder ring to find out exactly what's going on in that mind, that's going to be where you go. 
And once you do that, there is no possible way to, to make that argument. So as I said, the only way that, that anyone's making that argument is either because they are ignorant or, or they're nefarious. Wayward Noodle, what is going on, good sir? Member on the channel. Thank you very much for being uh, here in the chat. We got Forever Sci-Fi. What is going on, Forever Sci-Fi? Hail to you. Thanks for being a member here. Kimberly G says, haven't seen Barbie yet. Well, soon, since I'll be trapped in by snow. I would say do not waste your time. Uh, there are so many other films, you know, even bad films, that are at the very least entertaining that you would better be served watching. Jeremy Zakowski. Jeremy Zakowski says, worst movie 2023, easy, Barbie. So Jeremy Zakowski thinks Barbie is the worst film of 2023. Um, for a long time, I thought that that film was going to end up as my number one, but I looked at the numbers, and uh, let's just say it's it's definitely up there, but there are other films that I think are a lot worse, objectively speaking, a lot worse. Kinkane Rumshki over on Rumble, what's going on, good sir, says, <laughs> you better not have Meg 2 on your list. That would require me to actually watch the Meg 2, and I have no desire to ever watch that movie, ever. So stop, stop, stop trying to make the Meg 2 something, okay? It's never going to happen. Rob D., Time to say hello. I'm conflicted. I want to submit nominations for the Ravens, but I haven't seen too many of the of this year's films, and I don't really want to waste my time with terrible movies. Uh, well, remember, uh, Rob D, that this is just collecting nominations. So you know, nominate what you can. There is the option to type in n slash a for just not applicable, and that's totally fine. So just nominate what you can, what you do feel uh, comfortable being able to uh, to nominate. And what my hope is that once we actually have the nominations and we actually have the ballot, I'm going to try to do something. And I obviously want to make sure that I'm not, you know, viciously breaking any actual laws. But I would love to be able to have some kind of, you know, discord stream party of some of the films. So that way anyone who maybe hasn't had a chance to see some of the movies has a chance to watch it. So that way when they actually are voting, you know, and, and actually ranking movies, the big thing is actually more so for best movie of the year. Because for best movie, we do a ranking system. And I always feel that there are movies that end up winning because it's the only film that a lot of people ended up watching. And so it automatically gets that number one spot. So it'd be really cool, I think, to be able to give some attention to maybe those those lesser known movies, movies that maybe people just didn't have a chance to actually go and see. Um, but obviously, you know, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. One thing I am changing this year is I on uh, on Criticless, since there are a lot of people now that I'm on there and I can see who's watching movies, who's who's leaving reviews on, on you know, various films, especially of, of the current year. I was able to say, hey, I, I'm actually going to do a almost like a mini council. So I have a Raven Awards, you know, council, as it were who is going to be there to try to help me fill in some of the categories, especially of ones where either there just aren't enough nominations or there are just a lot of, you know, questions. So, cause obviously I would love for me to have, you know, hundred, 150 people nominate things. And it's very easy to, you know, to have five in each category and to have like the best, you know, you know, the best film, you know, filled out too. But when, when very few people nominate, it becomes that much harder. So I think having a council of people that I trust, specifically who I know have watched most of the films in a given year, or at least a large portion of them, to be able to help out on, hey, we need an extra, you know, we need a film that, you know, we are missing one or two films in this category or whatever it might be. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. 
Let's see. Prince Screen, what is going on, says, Do you think Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer's chances for Best Picture have increased after the Golden Globes? All right, so Prince Screen, here's, here's a very important fact about the Golden Globes. It is the... <laughs> the way I always describe the Golden Globes is that it is the whose line is it anyway of award shows. It's all made up and the points don't matter. If you look at the grand scheme of the history of the Golden Globes, very rarely do they ever have any actual impact on anything awards-wise. And one of the best examples I always bring up is from several years ago, there was a movie called The Tourist with, I believe it was Angelina, Angelina Jolie, and I know for a fact that it had Johnny Depp in it. And that movie was one of the worst films to come out that year. It was awful. Got panned by critics. Got panned by audiences. And yet, the Golden Globes nominated for Best Comedy. And the joke that, you know, it was a well-known joke. And I think whoever the host was at the time may have even been Ricky Gervais. But whoever was the host even cracked a joke saying, yeah, you got some movies like The Taurus getting nominated because the Hollywood Foreign Press just wants to hang out with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. So the whole joke was that they literally just randomly chose certain movies because of who was starring in them and not because of the movies themselves. So the Golden Globes have never really had any impact. Um, you know, and here's the thing. All right. Oppenheimer has always been from the very, you know, from its very release, a contender. It was always going to get nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. Nolan, I think, was always going to be a key for, for director. The only award shows, and again, I, I know a lot of this just because there was a time in which I followed this stuff when it actually mattered. And so the only awards that really matter in certain categories, if you want to know about who's going to get Best Director, look at the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. Usually those line up. Not always, but most of the time, they line up almost one-to-one. Uh, for both nominees and, and for also for winners. If you want to know Best Picture, look at the Producers Guild of America. Those also usually line up pretty well, um, again, both in nominations and in winners. Not always one-to-one, -one, but it's a very, very high percentage. Uh, for SAG, you can also have a lot of uh, insight into who's going to get the acting nominations for different films as well. And so, yeah, again, Golden Globes have always been a joke, and award shows in general are, are jokes, which is why we do... Our Oscars boycott show the Ravens. So, you know, screw the Golden Globes. Vote in the Ravens instead. It'll be a much, much better time. So, anyway. Let us see what is going on. Is that, see, is that Brett? What's going on, man? What's up, brother? Is it not highlighting here? Is it not showing up in my chat for some reason? That is the weirdest thing. But, Brett, thank you so much for the $5 sa -sa -sa super chat. Says, Expendables was the worst movie of 2023. Brett, thank you, man. Check him out over at Pop Culture Crisis. He's an awesome guy. It's always fantastic having him on the Salty Saturday stream and having great conversations about film. It's always great to have another fellow, uh, have a fellow movie nerd who sees pretty much, every, you know, almost everything. Um, I will say this, though. I did not see Expendables. That that was on one of my, I am not going to see this list. I, I do not really care. <laughs> it's like, I, I've given up on that franchise. I had no expectations. It, it did end up also being the biggest flop, one of the biggest flops of the year, actually, for that studio as well. So, <laughs> you might be right. You very well might be right. But, 
it is not on my list because I never saw it and I never had a desire to see it. Again, there's some movies that are just not going to be there because I just had no actual, <laughs> I had no willpower to actually go and see it. All right. Let us see. I hope the chat is still working. For some reason, it's not updating anymore. That makes me very sad. That makes me very concerned. But for those that are here, thank you. 63 people watching on YouTube. You guys are awesome. All right. Let us see. Michael Burgett says, I saw today the new Guy Ritchie film, The Ministry of Gentlemanly Warfare, got a release date in April 19. Looking forward to that one. Oh, I did not know. Uh, I always like a good Guy Ritchie movie. Last year, he had two. He had two excellent films, both of which will probably be on my top list um, of the year. The Covenant, which was a great war film, and uh, Operation Fortune, Roost de Guerre, which was also a ton of fun. Jeremy Zagowski says, Merchandise is carried the MonsterVerse. That's what I've been hearing. I, I guess that's my question, though, is but like, what kind of merchandise are we talking about? And, and where are those numbers? And also, the other thing is, okay, but who's getting the money for that? Because I believe it's Toho that owns any of those rights. So any merchandising is going to go to them, right? And so the question still remains, where is Warner Brothers, and, and more specifically, where is Legendary getting the money from? That, that I think, is the key point uh, to any of this, is where are they getting the money when they are not, cl clearly, they just are not getting any money back on the actual films. Let's see, Cthulhu, at 7.34, time to say, saw American fiction, uh, it says, see American fiction, saw it in its perfect 90s-style Hollywood movie, the acting and plot are beautiful, every moment exceptional, and the brother was the standout role, best movie 2023. I did see American fiction, it's fantastic, I completely agree. It is not the best movie of 2023, and it's because there are just, a, there are some elements, the third act especially, to me, falls off a bit. And I feel like the movie was moving at a clip for, 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 for a good while. And then the ending gets very meta. And if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. So there's, again, there's a lot of really good things. I think I know what happened too, by the way. I think I know what happened. I think it was, there we go. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened when I tried to... Read the first chats. All right, now now the YouTube chat should be coming in. So I'll go back and and see if there was any that that I missed. That was my bad. That was my bad, everybody. I pulled a boomer moment there. I'm sorry. But anyway, American Fiction is a great film. Um, it's gonna probably make it into my top list, but it didn't quite make it. According to critical terms, did not make it into the most excellent category for me. And again, it was because that third act fell off a little bit. Acting's phenomenal. Writing is great until the third act. Uh, Chow, thank you. Yeah, again, it happens. When you have kids, they get sick. Thank you for the prayers, Prince Screen. Old Guard, wishing him well. All the best. Thank you. Appreciate that. Zendo Deb, who is watching over on Rumble, what's up? Says, family comes first. Anyone with two brain cells understands that. I always appreciate. I always appreciate, though, because sometimes people don't get it. Kinkane Rumshki, are you a Stathamist? No. I think that there's some films that Statham is is good in. I I thought the first Meg film was fun. Here's the thing: you're you're talking to somebody that actually liked the first Meg film. It wasn't a good movie, but I found it to be entertaining. But the moment they announced the Meg two, I was immediately shut off. I was saying no, that was a movie that should have just existed on its own by itself as just a funny throwaway nonsensical story. When you start to make it or try to make it into a franchise. You've lost me. 
And so I, I was like, yep, I have no desire. Uh, Smarticus over on Odyssey, what's going on? TZ Burden is hanging out over there as well. Abomination says, so if stores start selling the smaller Godzilla figure, baby Godzilla, Toho gets the profits? That's, that's the ultimate question, Abomination, right? That is the ultimate question. I, I'm all for getting, right, that the IP of Godzilla is strong and powerful. You're talking to somebody who loved Godzilla minus one. Who, who went back and watched films like Shin Godzilla. And even though I do have my issues with Shin Godzilla, I don't think it's anywhere close to as good as Godzilla Minus One, it's still a pretty solid movie. It feels like a Godzilla film. You, you get to the MonsterVerse films, and it's just like, what the heck am I watching? Then you look at the financials, and again, you bring back that question. I have no doubt that Toho is making bank. But it's not because the MonsterVerse films are making bank. Because if you look at the numbers and you look at the budgets, they're not. Again, they're all verifiable flops according to box office numbers. Now, because Toho is selling the rights and is getting some pretty sweet deals in it, they're totally fine. Again, they're the only winners. They're the only clear winners in any of that. The question I have is, okay, how is the producer of the film Legendary as the production company, how are they making money? And then Warner Brothers as the distributor, you know, where is their money coming from in this too? Let's just say there's a lot of shady stuff going on in all of this. Demonic Rebellion on YouTube, what's going on? Jacobite Wiseman had to say, we need more young, uh, younger men as main characters in action movies. Yeah, I mean, we th- we're kind of getting a bit of a, uh, of a pandemic, or an epidemic, I should say, of old male action heroes. But some of them do work. Equalizer, I think that Denzel works very well in that role. Obviously, the John Wick films work very well also. So it's, it's less... It's less about the age of the person and more about the film itself, the writing, and, you know, obviously the actor has a role to play in that too. Let's see. Hardwick at 753 said, I used to like Godzilla, King of the Monsters, largely because of Kyle Chandler, until I figured out that the movie sneakily endorses Vera Farmiga's character's eco-terrorist views. Yeah. I mean, but that's, to me, Hardwick, that's almost like the least of the problems because, you know, everything about the human story in, in any of those movies sucks. And that's where Minus One is very different. The the human story is actually interesting, and then you add on top of that the awesome kaiju massacre, right? And so you get everything that you're supposed to get. I feel like a lot of times the 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 apologists, right? The the monsterverse apologists who are just defending it nonstop are maybe not even recognizing and realizing that they're trying to defend <laughs> A film that, objectively speaking, you just can't defend. And what's the, again, what's the number one defense usually that people bring up is, well, it's fun and entertaining and I get to turn my brain off. And it's like, look, I understand that. I understand the need and the desire to have those kinds of movies, but don't you, you know, want movies that you can sit back, relax, throw popcorn down your mouth, but then also at least have a half decent story? Half decent, right? I don't think I'm really asking for a whole lot there with, with uh, asking for a half decent story. All right, let me see if there were any comments that were uh, skipped, and I don't know if I'll be able to pull them up. Hopefully, I will be able to. Um, We will see in just a second. But anyway, let's see. Where did we leave off here? Where did we leave off here? Or did all of the comments actually... Okay, cool. Awesome. Glad to see that actually works. So it actually auto-populated all the messages that had not yet been added. So we're all good. So that's why that message actually at 7.53 was actually at 7.38. Awesome. 
All right, Forever Sci-Fi, who's a member, says, I saw Gary Mahler and Ass talking about the Mandalorian and Grogu movie being in development. Grogu is the pet rock of Disney Star Wars. I mean, anytime I hear about Lucasfilm talking about any movies, I immediately say, yeah, I- I'll believe it when I see it. It's just like the, the new Ray movie. Until it actually gets filmed and is complete, I won't believe that it's actually going to be, you know, ever coming out. See, Victor Fontaine says, apparently Iger threw a ton of money at Favreau to make a Mando and Grogu movie as a Hail Mary to bring Star Wars to theaters, and it's not going to work. Jacob Wiseman, our action films, uh, our action films has estrogen poisoning. That did not make any sense. Hardwick, I seem to recall Chrissy Mayer saying that Barbie seemed like a de- uh, like a deconstruction of wokeness. Brett Cooper said she enjoyed it as well. Yeah, as I said, I, again, not trying to be mean or rude, but I think that there is a level of ignorance there. And I think it's not, you know, when someone says ignorance, by the way, it's not saying, oh, yeah, you're just an ignorant, stupid person. It's like, no, I think that a lot of the people who are looking into or, or giving those those thoughts and opinions about the film just don't know who Greta Gerwig is, who, who just don't know the kind of person and the kind of films she makes, and the kind of story she tells, and just the mindset that she has. Because when you know that, when you better understand that, any thought of it being somehow meta in that way goes out the window. Let's see. Cthulhu says, hey, now, it's not anti-male because Kens are the oppressed in revolt. Just because the script is all over the place doesn't mean the actual events don't exist. Yes, but again... You have to understand it within the proper context, okay? Just because the audience loves Ken does not mean that that was the intention of the actual movie, okay? Just because Ken ends up being the hero in many people's minds does not mean that that's how it was meant to be written. I think that you have to look at it and say she went so over the top with it that she made a character that actually ended up being a lot more likable than anyone thought. Also, you have to take into account Ryan Gosling is just a likable guy in general. He can play that part very, very well. So, again, you've got to understand who she is. Watch Marriage Story. I'm saying right now. You shouldn't watch it because it's awful, but watch Marriage Story. Same two people, the two people that wrote, right, Greta Gerwig and her quote-unquote quote partner wrote Marriage Story as well. And, and that, I think, is going to be the ultimate key to understanding why there is just no way to defend this nonsense. Steven, what's going on, brother, says, are you going to review Echo? I have to watch it. It's homework, unfortunately. <laughs> Damn you, Gary. But, uh, yeah, so as far as doing a full review, as you all know, I've not been doing a whole lot of dedicated video reviews recently. I just have not had the extra time to, to be able to do that. However, however, I am obviously putting my reviews on Criticless. So please stay tuned and follow me over there if you want to have any instant reviews. Steven says, did you do the Rosca bread? No, actually, I don't know the Rosca bread. I don't understand that reference. Uh, there is again, uh, Brett Zavik, thank you again so very much for that very generous Super Chats. And again, make sure to check him out and follow him over at Pop Culture Crisis. Love the work you're doing there, man. And uh, again, always appreciate the conversations. Let's see. Steven, what's going to be the first movie you plan to see for 2024? As far as, like, actual 2024 releases, I don't know. I honestly don't. Uh, because my wife and I actually have been on a kick recently of us watching the Harry Potter films. So we just started Deathly Hallows Part 1 uh, last night. 
And so those are kind of the first movies that, that I've been watching have been the Harry Potter films. My wife is a huge Harry Potter nerd. But the fun thing about watching these movies is that she actually is not a huge fan of the movies. She, she's, she is a book nerd, okay? That, that's who my wife is. Love my wife. And so when we're, as, we're, as we watch these movies, it's a constant, not constant, but it's just, you know, a lot of information of, well, you know, in the book, this happens. In the book, this. And it's great because it, you know, actually has made me be a lot more critical of the story and, and of the movies than I had been previously because, you know, when I watched them when I was younger, I just, you know, kind of was just taking it in as a young kid. But now, uh, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I actually see there's a lot of plot inconsistencies in the movie, a lot of which are actually addressed and even fixed and, or never even brought up because the issues never existed in the books. Um, but I love my wife can actually even say, yeah, this is actually one of those plot holes that's actually been in the book for a long time and, you know, hardcore fans have always talked about it. Steven says, can we still vote for the Raven Awards? Yeah, that is still open. So check out uh, the YouTube community tab. Should still have the post to the uh, nomination uh, the nomination link. You could also still be able to access it by going on my Twitter. It's one of the highlighted posts there. And if one of the mods can find the link and post it, that great. that's great too. But obviously, if you're busy, no obligations here. Uh, Kekvote 4753 says, being driven insane by Baby Shark Toon constantly in his house, refuses to watch Daddy Shark movie number two. <laughs> That's a great, that is a great point, Kek44. Yes. Um, luckily, Baby Thor is not obsessed with that. Uh, he is, you know, he, he is my son. And I, I think I mentioned this before, his, his favorite movies of all time are Star Wars. We watch those more than anything else. But he also likes a lot of really good animated movies, too. So just recently, uh, right before bed, because again, he was sick, we, we usually during the week, we have a very strict no screen policy, obviously the exception if he's sick, because come on. Um, and uh, so we were watching Zootopia, actually. And earlier, we had watched uh, Emperor's New Groove, which is my wife's favorite and one that I had remembered always liking, but now I, I just love it even more, even though I've seen it a few times now. And Monsters, Inc. is another one that he is big on right now. Um, and it's just so much fun to, to see the, the wonder and just the fact that he has that, that type of attention span to, to be able to sit through and watch and understand those things. Anyway, let's see. Brett says, CGI was so bad. I was hoping for dumb fun because I love the first two. It didn't do it for me though. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Dan Crane says, hail Odin. Happy new year. Happy new year to you. Dan Crane. Thank you for being a citizen of Asgard. Appreciate you for being a member for 20 months in a row. You are awesome. Let us see. Oh, he was talking there about the Expendables. Yes. One of the many reasons why I just had no interest in Expendables. Hardwick says, I remember watching the Taurus years ago. It was boring until the last 10 minutes or so when the twist happened. Timothy Dalton's character was the only interesting one. Yeah, the twist was one of the dumbest parts too. It was like, it might have been interesting because you're like, oh, didn't see that happening. But then you thought about it for a second and you thought, wait a minute, what? What is this nonsense? What is going on here? Uh, see, Super says, Discord watch party. That sounds great. Been meaning to do more of those in the public channel, but I'm not consistent enough. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if I can make it work, I will. Because I would love for other films. Uh, for instance, when the Iron Claw gets gets released on on you know streaming, on obviously I, I can't wait to buy it. I hope there's a 4K release of it, but it's it's one of those movies where I could see why the studio may not want to do that. 
Uh, but either way, I can't wait to own that one on physical media. But that would be a film I think a lot of people would actually enjoy if they actually had the chance to to watch it. So, yeah, I I would love to be able to do something like that um, in the future. Uh, there we go, Brett. Uh, that Indy Five. Oh yes. So, uh, and I, actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I'll get back into the chat after uh, we go through the worst movies of 2023. So, oh boy. Here we go, everybody. It is time for the worst film of 2023. So first, I do have a top 10 worst, but I've got about eight or so honorable or dishonorable mentions for what I thought some of the worst films of the year were. So let's go ahead and get started. I'll get the live chat open right now, just in case anything happens in the meantime. But, oh boy. Here we go, everybody. Also, let me make sure I did not screw up the... YouTube chat. <laughs> I think I may have messed it up again. <laughs> okay. There we go. All right. Now I think I've fixed the chat. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. All right. Anyway, without further ado, the number 18 dishonorable mention for me is a film most of you probably have not actually seen. And that film is Asteroid City. So Asteroid City was a film I had a lot of high hopes for. Because it just seemed like, okay, that this kind of has, by the way, oh my goodness, Gary Banjo said it's worth so many notifications there. It, it just seemed like it had everything I needed, right? So it's a Wes Anderson movie. It was it had very much a Wes Anderson feel to the trailer. And I thought, okay, I, I love Wes Anderson films. There's not a whole lot of his movies that I've not you know really thoroughly enjoyed. And then I saw Asteroid City. And even though it had a phenomenal cast, and even though the cinematography was actually very, very good, and there were a couple of interesting concepts within the film, this is just a weird one. This is honestly just one of those movies where you think to yourself, even Wes Anderson can sometimes be a little bit too much Wes Anderson. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel about, about this movie. So, uh, yeah, Asteroid City, one of the worst films to come out in 2023. And this one was more so, again... Just a massive disappointment, right? Just just a, a massive disappointment. So it's not even that it's objectively the worst film. But for me, it was just, ugh. It made me very, very sad. I had so many high hopes for it. All right, the number 17 dishonorable mention. So one of these other dishonorable mentions is going to be the film Cocaine Bear. I know. That's a controversial take for some people. I know that a lot of people were fans of Cocaine Bear. But for me, when you have the premise of this is... <laughs> based off of a real-life event. So there actually is a cocaine bear. There is a museum where the cocaine bear has been stuffed, basically, so you can actually see him. Um, yeah, an actual bear found pounds and pounds of cocaine and ate it. And so, of course, in the real world, the bear ate it and died. Very, very sad, right? So they decided, hey, you know what, let's take the idea of, well, maybe, maybe, instead of dying right away, he got really, really high, right? Maybe he got really, really high. And what would happen from that? And what the film gives us is some of the worst CGI that came out in 2023. It was, it was pretty rough. It was pretty bad. And then you add that to boot, just an incredibly dumb story. And the fact that it's a film that features Ray Liotta's last movie role, I believe, or at least one of his last movie roles, it just makes you sad. 
it honestly makes you sad because Ray Liotta, even though he is phenomenal in the movie because he's just a great actor, when you have to listen to the words, when you have to listen to the script that he was given and have to watch the um, the direction that he was given, it honestly just it just makes you sad. It really does. So this film, absolutely one of the worst films of the year. This film was bogus, in my opinion. So not not the worst film, but definitely a bogus film. Elizabeth Banks, by the way, was the director of the film. If you want to know kind of why the movie just didn't work very well, she's a big part of that. But you had a pretty good cast, right? Carrie Russell was in the film. You also had Ray Liotta in the film. Isaiah Whitlock was in the movie as well. Uh, oh, is that Margot Martindale, I think, is the other one there. I, I think that she's she's great. Um, and a lot of the character roles that she plays. So the casting wasn't the problem. The casting actually was probably one of the better parts of the film and why the film did not end up in the heinous category for me. But yeah, the the writing of this story, uh, Joe, Jimmy Warden listed here as a writer, awful. <laughs> just just, just garbage, just just terrible in, in so many different ways. And so yeah, Cocaine Bear, definitely one of the worst films to come out in 2023. The number 16 film on my list is going to be Wish. Yes, 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 I know. Um, I think some people probably would have expected this to be a, a little bit higher on my list. And to be honest, I'm wondering if I actually put this in the wrong spot. No, wait, I didn't. I didn't. And there's a reason why. So Wish is the film that was 100 years in the making, right? This was the movie that was supposed to be the big film, right? The 100th anniversary of Disney. The big film that was supposed to be the culmination of so many things. And what do we get? We got a, a soulless lifeless box office loser. It was it was a movie that was as forgettable as the songs in the movie itself. Again, very forgettable. And you had one of the worst villains that I think has ever been created. There have been so many. And, and, and really the thing that opens your eyes about this movie is think about how many people, think about how many people, even amongst like normie audiences, have come out of this movie and have pointed out the fact that the villain just does not hold a candle to any of the old school villains. There's there's some really great videos out there that actually cut together saying, here's what Disney villains used to look like, and they bring up, like, you know, Count Frollo. They bring up Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame, one of the worst and most evil villains ever, has one of the best songs ever, right? Hellfire is, to this day, probably still one of the best songs that's ever been written, especially one of the best you know, villain songs that have been written. And so you go from Hellfire to, this is the things I get. What? I mean, it's just, yeah. Silly, silly nonsense. Um, but I, I say again, there was a reason why this film ended up getting a bogus rating from me. So this film ended up getting around 39%. So still a, a very, very low score. Um, but let me see if I can actually pull up my review here. Uh, so as it says, for a movie that is meant to be the culmination celebration of 100 years of Disney, instead we get a lifeless and derivative mess. The opening song is so lazily written and starts the film off in such a bland fashion. The best way to explain this film is uninspired, though a song or two has moments and Alatudic knocks it out of the park as always and often steals the whole show. This is one that is likely... Let's see. This is one that likely won't be remembered in the years to come and just isn't worth the time. And I still hold to that, uh, hold to that rating, hold to that score. And again, the only reason why I got points, Alan Tudyk is always going to raise a film and the prestige of a film in my head uh, because I think that his voice work is always great. And I will say there, at the very least, are a couple songs that aren't garbage, but they're not good and they're not very memorable either. So 
Wish, number 16 on my list. Number 15 is The Little Mermaid, live action. You probably thought this one was higher on my list, but uh, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Most of the people in the film can sing. And that is a huge change. Uh, I, I like to think, for instance, of the live action Beauty and the Beast. And even though on paper, it seemed like Emma Watson was a perfect fit for Belle, when you actually saw the movie, you thought, oh, goodness, she is not singing, and there's some auto-tune correction going on here with, with this voice. It's not good. So I had to get it points at least because the people in the film could actually sing. And I know that there's a lot of people that are a lot more critical of some of the casting than, than I have been. But for me, it's the, one of the most important things is if it's a musical, you have to cast people that can sing. So if you've at least done that part, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of credit. Not much credit, but I'll give you a little bit of credit. So uh, anyway, yeah. So I just want to make sure that it is clear out there that, again, the movie is definitely not good at all. But... There were worse films that came out this year. One of them, actually, might surprise some, is the film Renfield. So, if you all remember, Little Mermaid features one of the worst voice acting moments in cinematic history with Aquafina as the voice of, of, of the seagull, of the bird in the movie. She has the whole song going like, wah, wah, and it's awful. Imagine instead a movie that features Aquafina as a main character, and that's Renfield. So the only reason why this film isn't even, you know, higher on this list of worst films of 2023 is because Nicolas Cage is great. Nicolas Cage being cast as Dracula, that should have been a knockout of the park. But instead, what did we get? Instead, we <laughs> instead we got a film where one of the primary stories is actually about Aquafina's character and not about the relationship between Dracula and Renfield, between Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Holt. Had it just been between those two, this film actually might have ended up being a much higher rated movie for me. But Aquafina is always going to tear things down. And the fact that it's, again, very, very annoying in The Little Mermaid, but a lot more of her in Renfield makes that film worse to me. Number 13 movie goes to Creed 3. The way I think of the Creed movies is like this. I think that the first Creed film is a B movie. It's fine. It's a film that I could probably watch. If I was doing a Rocky Marathon, I could probably watch the first Creed movie, and I'd be happy. I'd be fine. I know there's some that are on the one extreme saying, nope, it's, you know, all of the Creed stuff is nonsense, it's garbage. But the first Creed film at least has a really good performance from Sylvester Stallone as Rocky. The fact that he's in there, he is in that Mickey role, and I think that it works very, very well for the film and for what he brings to the film. And I think it pays respect to the source material as well. I think it pays respect to those characters. The issue, of course, is the fact that it just tries to go on and become a franchise. And Creed 2 fell off the cliff, right? So Creed, Creed 3 was a B movie. Creed 2 was just awful. It was like a C minus, D plus type movie. And then Creed 3 came out. And this is what happens when you put Michael B. Jordan in the director's chair. When he clearly just does not have a lot of experience behind the chair. And, and then you add on top of that someone who's been, you know what convicted of, of abuse in certain instances and you get Creed three. So again, a movie that I've already forgotten. I saw it one time, forgot about it. I think I was actually falling asleep as well because it was boring. A boxing movie that's boring, not, not a good thing. And uh, even though some of the acting is okay, right? Some of the acting is, is, is fine in the film. I think Michael B. Jordan is a great actor. 
I just don't think he should ever direct a film ever, ever again. So anyway, that's number 13 movie. Number 12 is Knock at the Cabin. This film came out early January, I believe, in 2023. And this was the film from M. Night Shyamalan Adingong, as I like to call him. And oh boy, what to say about this movie that hasn't already been set. Uh, Dave Bautista is in this film. <laughs> and this is where we start getting into the heinous. So pretty much everything from this point on is in the heinous category. Um, but yeah, you've got Ben Ulrich and Jonathan Groff in the movie. And the film starts off where they are a, a gay couple who have an adopted child. That's how it starts off. And it, it it's kind of pushing that a, a little bit, too. It's like, oh, it's really trying to push that point home a bit. I was like, really? What, why are we starting off a movie like this? What is this? And then you actually go through the story where these random strangers come up. So Dave Bautista as Leonard, uh, Nikki Amuka as Sabrina, and then Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint in the film as Redmond. So you, you got Ron Weasley coming back in. Hasn't been in a lot of acting things. Decides to come back for an M. Night Shyamalan a Ding Dong movie. I don't, I don't know. Um, and you start to actually have the entire film's concept be brought forward. And you get to the end point. And it's one of those movies where when you find out the twist, because it's an M. Night movie, so there's a twist. When you find out the twist, you're like, this was a complete waste of my time. Because the film is just so predictable. That when the, quote, twist happens, you're like, duh. There was never a point where I was ever questioning what I was seeing on screen. Why, M. Night, did you waste my time with this movie? So that was one of my early, early hated movies. Uh, Number 11 goes to Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle. DCEU has been dead for quite a long time. Even though it featured a, a pretty good performance, I would actually say, from the lead actor who, who plays the character of, you know, of Blue Beetle himself, coming from the, uh, the, the Karate Kid show, right, coming from the Cobra Kai show, uh, where he did a great job as the character of Miguel. I thought that he did fine in this acting-wise. Unfortunately, a lot of the supporting actors don't do nearly as well. And then you just have, again, a story that's supposed to be trying to promote family, but then ends up just coming across as one of these movies where you just question as to, okay, you've already given up on this franchise, or you've already given up on this universe, so why even put this forward? Why even try to establish that any of this even matters? So it just makes the entire film just incredibly uninteresting. All right, so that is it for my dishonorable mentions. Before we jump into our top 10, though, let's head back into the chat and see what y'all have to say about these things. Now that I've been able to get the chat to update here. See, Keely Chat says, The only good thing about the Oscars are that the Raven Awards and the Woke uh, and the World Class BSers Oscars Drunk watch stream. Yeah, I know that some people definitely enjoy that. Uh, Brett, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. You as well. Orange Hat says, I will always prefer refer to Barbie as a billion-dollar fluke, nor will I ever watch it. Don't blame you. I do not blame you. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. It made a billion dollars because they marketed the hell out of that movie. And it's very clear when you listen to people that are big fans of the film and people who especially are, I guess, more aware of, of wokeness in, in Hollywood, the fact that there are so many who fit that category who either just did not see those things or did not care about those things tells you how effective the film actually was. It was able to somehow convince people that things that 
are factually there somehow are not there. So, again, always interesting to see. Let's see, Rob D. One surprise hit film for me this year was Last Voyage of the Demeter, the Dracula film. Yeah, I think that film is now on streaming, and so it's a film I, I might check out, but I've, I've heard a lot of bad things about it, too. So, Super Anime Gamer says, Oh, no, the Taurus. I'd forgotten about them. I still can't believe it was the same directors as The Lives of Others. I never saw that one. Mr. Roy, what is going on? Good sir. Welcome. Icthulhu says, fair enough, I miss traditional family movies so much I give a lot of credit to American fiction, but a great film regardless. I agree. And that's the thing, like, I, I won't say it's the best film of the year, but I will absolutely agree it is a phenomenal movie and one of the best films of the year. Uh, Zaid Manzani, what's going on? Hail to you. Welcome back. Uh, Forever Sci-Fi says, Boomer Monday was great when Gary boomered his 10th anniversary opening and as streamed an empty chair. Nice. <laughs> Uh, Will Riker94, what's going on, man? King Ken Rumsky, thoughts on new Ray movie slash director? Are you just trolling me now at this point? Um, <laughs> I, uh, again, um, obviously, I think, one, I don't think the film's going to be made. I, I just really don't. Um, does that mean that it's impossible? No. I just, I don't believe any Star Wars film is going to be made. I, I think that when, especially, you know, doing the number crunching more recently, People need to realize the rise of Skywalker lost over a hundred million dollars at the box office. I mean, I, you know, you thought that Solo was, was a big financial loss, and then you talk about the fact that Rise of Skywalker not only that it lost over a hundred million, but that it still made over a billion dollars worldwide and still didn't make its money back because of how much money they spent on those movies. And how much they continued to overspend on production and on marketing. And also just how much money they ended up relying on from the overseas markets. Where they just do not get as much return on investment. So I look at that and I think, how? How can you justify giving more money to make more films like it? Abomination says, Monsters, Inc., the movie where they designed a 12 billion hairs on Sully and took 100 hours to render. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, my wife had uh, reminded me of that, and I will say this much. His hair looks great. His hair looks phenomenal. Uh, Horny Alf, what's up, man? How's it going, brother? <laughs> One Punch Man Tolkien fan, what's up? Uh, Jacob Weissman says, who is Vera Farmiga? Uh, she's an actress. Look her up. Rob D says, not that Warner Brothers will listen, but when they start their new DCU, they need to go back to one to two films per year. Three to four films is oversaturation, especially if they're all terrible. Actually, what they need to do is just stop. They should just stop right now. If they want to go in the direction that James Gunn wants to go in, fine. You need to put a pause. You need to say, no, we need to have like a five-year break to actually get all of our ducks in a row so that we can ensure we can make money. Because the, 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 the way that they're making films now, it doesn't matter if it's only one or two a year versus three to four. They're still not going to make money. That They're still not going to bring people back to the box office. They need to take a break and then they need to actually develop a solid idea and a solid strategy going forward. That's what they need to do. Will Riker, is that Deep Space Nine on your laptop shelf? I'm a Star Trek junkie, except for Kurtzman. Trek is garbage. Yes, it is. It is. Unfortunately, it at one point fell off of my shelf, and it uh, also got taken by one of the dogs. So a couple pieces are are broken. It used to be hanging up right up here. It used to be hanging up like right up here above my head. 
Uh, but unfortunately, it did fall and it, it is broken a little bit, but it is still there and it's awesome. I believe Bruce, Bruce, were you the one that sent that to me? It's either Bruce or usually it's either Bruce or Laura that send me things like that. I'm pretty sure that was Bruce, though. Let us see. Horny Alf, I remember you, dude. I remember. So, yeah, met him in Dallas. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to go to Dallas again this year. Um, right now, we're, we're, my wife and I are actually talking about the possibility of me making it down to Orlando. So for anyone who is thinking of doing the Orlando meetup, um, I might be able to make that one because my wife actually has a conference in New Orleans. And because I've got family, we both got family in uh, that area, uh, we might be able to get that work out. Really, obviously, the complication is going to be the kids. Um, but if we can make it work, then I might be able to do that. Uh, the R, what's going on, brother? Uh, for the HM Anum Novum, blessed new year. Harvey Tyson say, it sounds like Barbie is a similar situation to Watchmen. Alan Moore intended Rorschach to be hated, but a lot of people liked him and took the opposite of the intended message. I think that's a great example, Hardwick. I knew, I knew you could do it, Hardwick. I knew you could do it. <laughs> Rob D, Lady Freya is like my cousin Samantha. She knows practically all the book to film references. For me, it's a time machine. I could tell you all the book film differences. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just always love hearing some of the, the changes and differences because it also just brings a greater perspective to just how massive some of the plot holes are in the movie story, right? And how the movie side of things. Uh, by the way, it does look like OBS may have disconnected. Um, so I don't know what happened there. I know it's been very windy. Uh, obviously, a lot of storms have been coming through the area uh, here in southeast Tennessee. And so I know that uh, there very well could have just been a very big gust of wind that could have impacted some of the connections there. So apologies if that happens. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really fun to have that happen. Uh, Jacob at Wiseman, uh, bro, I don't know why you're wording it that way, but no, Zootopia is great. Zootopia is great. What's great about Zootopia is the fact that you think it's going to be. Remember, that film came out some years ago at this point. This is before things started to go crazy at Disney. And Zootopia really is a great commentary. Because just when you think it's going to be all about, oh, it's, it's going to be talking about race relations and things like that. No person and no character is perfect in, in the entire movie. So you think one character is going to be like this, this, you know, this token character, essentially, that is simply there to pontificate to other people. And guess what? She has just as many problems as anyone else. So that's one of the best parts about it is that it's very balanced in its approach, saying everyone's got prejudices because it's a fact. Everyone is prejudiced. So I like that. Also, guess what? It's pro cop because she's what's from the very inception of the film. She says, I want to be what a police officer. So, yeah, before you start saying, uh, I hate to say it this way, Jacobite, but when you start saying dumb things like that, please double, you know, please, you know, read it again to yourself, okay? Because I'm just going to stop highlighting your comments if you're going to talk like that, okay? Anyway, uh, Abomination says, Indy 5, do you mean non-existent indie movie number 2? Exactly. The Morak says, plan on seeing Iron Claw, was going to take my high school sophomore son to see it. Would you consider it inappropriate for that age? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. Um, so that's one reason, Morak, I would highly recommend, and you don't have to even create an account to see it, but I would say check out Criticless, so criticless.com, and then find the movie there, because one of the things they have is there's a section where we can rate 
uh, whether we think it's family friendly or not. So I, again, I know that for me, I would say probably not. I think there's a couple of things in there that might be just a bit too much, uh, too much for him. But there are going to be a lot of differing opinions on that part. And so, you know, look for the rating, but then also it gives you the ability to add comments under that section. And so I think I said, I think it would be, it would be something that would be appropriate for older teens. Because uh, again, there are a couple of scenes in there that I think especially are probably not going to be appropriate for, for younger ones. Let's see, print screen. The worst movie of 2023 was Kandahar. It was boring, poorly paced. Gerard Butler deserved better. I saw the first 20 minutes of it and thought it looked pretty. So that that's just that's what's just what it is. One Punch Man, Tolkien fan. Uh, yeah, I actually shaved it yesterday. Shaved it yesterday. <laughs> Not sure if that's why it is. If it's sure why that's why it's shiny, but. All right, let us see. Abomination said, "Oof." Uh, the ski rat is what we call seagulls. Nice. Will Riker, uh, Halle Bailey, she's a very talented singer, but the movie still is a horrible nightmare. Aquafina ruins everything. Oh, I agree. Completely agree. It's a terrible film. But as you mentioned, Halle Bailey, you know, Halle Bailey can at least sing. Orange Hat says, honestly, I thought that Aquafina was actually pretty good in her acting in Renfield. Ooh. She shows she has range beyond comedy. She could definitely hold her own in any action movie that has no comedy. Bro, what movie did you watch? <laughs> What movie did you watch, Orange Chat? <laughs> oh, goodness. See, Rob D says, Dasani feels happy every time someone says something negative about Aquafina. Yep. Abomination says, Would it be cool if Criticalist had a button to scroll up one title to make it easier to do this kind of top 10? Yeah, I mean, obviously that'd be great, but also when you think about it, it's not really specifically made to do that kind of list. So I agree, though. I definitely agree. See, Orange Hat says, that being said, I think she is annoying in Shang-Chi. Also, will never watch her Scuttle Mermaid movie. Morak says, how or why does Aquafina keep getting work? Because some people find her funny, I guess. I don't, I don't quite understand it. Good job. There should have been a spinoff movie about Mason the Line Dixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could have been an interesting uh, story for sure. Let's see. Snow Gollum on Odyssey. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Blue taco, boy. <laughs> Hardwick. Dracula, dead and loving it, is one of the lesser Mel Brooks movies, but still better than Renfield. Oh, yeah. I only remember even a few scenes from a film. I remember there's like the perpetual blood just spraying in the guy's face over and over again. Uh, there's some good stuff in there, for sure. Blue Beetles should, uh, shouldn't have been made plain and simple. I agree. Uh, I'm going to say this the way that one of the characters in the film says, Jamie Reyes in Cobra Kai. He's awesome, Blue Beetle. <laughs> Jaime. His name is Jaime. Or sci-fi. There are good actors out there, but there aren't a lot of good movies or stories. Yeah, I think that it's definitely a mix of things. Heartbreak Ridge says, wave good evening all. What's up, Heartbreak Ridge? Or sci-fi. DC Marvel movies have become the superhero version of shovelware. Agreed. Uh, Will Riker. Hopefully that, that helped. Super says, you haven't seen Lives of Others. It's about an agent signed to spy on a family of artists, falls in love with them, and tries to protect them from the government. Highly recommended. Ooh, interesting. King Gang Rumshaw says, do you ever have to shovel snow? Not here. Uh, no, in southeast, uh, in southeast Tennessee, we're lucky if we get snow. Very, very lucky. I, I hope I hope we get snow. I would love to have that problem, but, but I don't. 
Um, let's see. Abomination. The Sloth was great. I agree. The Sloth is one of the best parts. Keely Chow. There are only three Indiana Jones films. That is a fact. All right, let's go now into the rest of the films in my top 10 worst list. So I've already done my dishonorable mentions. It's now time to get into the top 10 list. And so I think I might do this a little bit differently um, because of the way things are set up. So anyway, let me get. I actually got to open these tabs. The one thing also that Critic List does is if you have multiple tabs open, it'll show you all the notifications every time since the last time you opened it. So hopefully that has fixed that issue. There we go. Perfect. All right. So first off, my number 10 worst movie of the year is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. 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 Oh, boy. Where do I start with this movie? So first you have... Oh, goodness. Honestly, <laughs> there's some movies on my list where I just don't even want to talk about them because of just how much they, they upset me. So they take... They take the concept of the quantum realm, which on, on paper is pretty interesting, right? There's a lot of stuff that they could they could do with it. And instead, they decide to make a completely bloated CGI fest where the only good thing about it that I can even remember is just how bad MODOK is. I know a lot of the people got mad about MODOK because people who are fans of the comics obviously thought, like, what the heck is this? But as someone who's not a comics person, when I saw MODOK, I laughed. And, and to this day, I still think MODOK is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But obviously, it's clearly unintentionally funny. Right? It's not funny, haha, because of how they wrote the character. Uh, they were trying to make him, you know, a comedic relief character in certain regards. But that's not what was funny about it. It was funny because of just how poorly rendered the CGI was, how poorly designed the character was, and, and just how anyone in their right mind could have seen that in a screening, right? The executives that, that screened the film before saying, yep, this is good to go, the fact that anyone gave that the green light, that Kevin Feige gave that the green light and said, yep, that looks good, is laughable. So Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, one of the worst films of the year, a heinous movie, for, for sure, and two hours of your life that is well worth spent on anything else, and it was also one of the first signs that the MCU and that Disney in general was about to see one of the worst years in their entire history. Um, this was kind of what began the avalanche of movies that lost hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars. So, anyway, let me see if I can find... My my general thoughts on this movie. By far the weakest of the franchise, which is saying something after Ant-Man and the Wasp that fails not only to set up anything interesting for its own plot, but for the future of the MCU as well. A thin and poorly conceived story with awful and overused CGI makes this film an easy one to not recommend. I stand by those words once again. Made that back in September. And uh, I completely agree. And I did not like Ant-Man and the Wasp. I thought that was a very poor film with one of the worst, you know, fake villain, and then actual villain storylines. And, and somehow this this one actually ends up being worse. And I think one of the worst things about it is that it's such a pointless movie, right? Because obviously we knew that the MCU was was about to be reset, that certain characters were not going to be you know coming back. And so it just honestly felt like, what is the point of any of what I'm watching right now? It did not set up really anything um, of note. So anyway, number 10 goes to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Number 9 on my list. This is going to surprise some people. Okay, this is going to surprise some people. 
Number nine on my list, actually, is Barbie. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some people thought, wait a minute. I thought for sure this was going to be like your number one, number two, maybe even number three worst film of the year. But your number nine, how in the world did it get to that point? Well, here's the thing, all right? Many of the movies on my list right now are at that 19%, all right? Where I put it right at the top, the highest heinous rating that I could give it. And the reason why for me, Barbie is is for one, worse than Quantumania, is for the very clear political messaging that just hits you over the head. I don't care what anyone tries to tell themselves. It is a fact that the film is woke nonsense, is intersectional garbage that needs to be called out. I think still one of the best videos that I've seen, I think it was, was it Shad who did a video on it? If not Shad, then it was the Popcast Brothers. Uh, one of them did a excellent breakdown of just how evil this movie is in what it brings across messaging wise to kids. I saw the impact of this movie early in the year when I typically have, you know, conversations about movies, as you all know, I'm a movie guy. And so that comes up even in uh, my, my role outside of YouTube. And, and when I saw the impact this was having on younger kids and younger, uh, younger girls, especially with the kind of nonsensical garbage it was pushing. I realized that this is seriously one of the worst films of the year, not just because it's a terribly written movie, but also because it is a dangerous movie. And I don't say that lightly. I don't like saying, oh, this movie's dangerous. Stay away from it. No, seriously. The ideology that is pushed in this movie is dangerous for younger women to to watch because it's going to make them believe that the crap that it's pushing is real, is somehow based in a sense of reality. And that's the kind of stuff that needs to be rejected in all fronts. Um, so definitely worse because of its messaging than Ant-Man and Quantum Mania, but not the worst film of the year because I put this a little bit higher technically on my list, uh, ultimately because I will give it at least this. Ken is hilarious, but that's mostly to do with Ryan Gosling more so than anything else, right? The whole being Knuff thing is, is funny, but that's mostly because of internet memes versus anything else. The set design is very, very good. The set design is objectively very, very good. So there are some things I'm going to actually give points to, but the script is just so bad. It is impossible to have this movie uh, anywhere else but on the worst films of the year list. Now, there is a movie that came out more recently that actually I think is worse than Barbie, <laughs> and that's Rebel Moon. So same score, still, still a heinous movie, but Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. Zack Snyder is honestly one of the worst filmmakers alive today. I, I say that without any shame whatsoever. There is not a single one of his movies that I can think back to and say I would want to watch it again. I used to love 300. I thought 300 was great. But it's the kind of movie that when I went back to rewatch it, Several years ago, I immediately thought, wow, this movie is so much slower. It's so much more boring than I remember it being. And oh my goodness, the CGI has not aged well at all. Now, I already hear what you're thinking. There's some saying, what about Dawn of the Dead? Well, for one, I don't really like Dawn of the Dead. It goes back to me to the zombie baby. That this is, this is I think, more of that is like when it comes to Dawn of the Dead, that's more subjective than objective. I will admit that straight up. I think all the other films are objectively horrid. For that movie, we also have to remember one thing. He did not write it. James Gunn 
wrote Dawn of the Dead. He directed it. It was before he also was as big of an ego as he is now. As soon as he got any budget, as soon as he got any money and had the ability to be creative, things started to go downhill very, very, very quickly. Rebel Moon, I think, is the culmination of all of those things. You have, once again, a CGI fest. Uh, you have a, a lead actress who is many times just just wooden and, and just cannot carry a, a movie. And you have a story that is so jumbled and such a mess. And the fact that they did that on purpose, that is, I think, even the worst thing about this movie. They purposefully asked Snyder to make a shorter version so that they could then release a, quote, Snyder Cut version later on. And the fact that he said, okay, inexcusable. And I, I know that there's already a lot of people who are going to say, well, just wait until the director's cut. Everything's going to be better. It's like, this never happened. Any Anytime Snyder has made a director's cut, you know, some things are fixed, but inevitably it's still just a longer generic mess. So Rebel Moon... Still can't even remember and tell you what the film is about because that's how forgettable the movie honestly is. So number nine, sorry, number uh, eight film, worst film of the year goes to Rebel Moon. All right, now the number seven worst film of the year goes to another film that for most of y'all might be higher on your list. But for me, now we're getting into the 15s. Now we're getting into the 15% rotten or the 15% heinous criticless score. And that is the Marvel's Marvel's. Oh my goodness. Ugh. So, yeah, Brie Larson in a movie that thankfully proved me and many other people right about the prowess that she did not have at the box office. I just, I can still remember when the first Captain Marvel film made a billion dollars and how everyone just completely misread how that happened. And I said, just wait until she is actually headlining a movie that it does not have in you know, in this case, Endgame to prop it up to make it seem like it's going to be something big. And sure enough, what happens? You have the worst box office opening in MCU history, the worst drop-off second week in MCU history, and ultimately it will be the worst entire box office total in MCU history. So, a terrible story, terrible CGI, an awful villain, good grief. Why they decided to go with Grill Girl, I have no idea. But this film, absolutely one of the worst films of the year, and that goes into the number seven spot. But there are films that I thought were actually worse than the Marvels, and that's saying something quite a bit. First off, 65. Movie a lot of people, I think, ended up not seeing, and I thought this film had all the potential in the world. It was a dinosaur movie, right? I got it immediately, 65, ah, oh, 65 million years ago. I see what you're doing there. And it, it, it had, you know... For its cast, Adam Driver, who I thought was 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 great. But then you have Ariana Greenblatt. She's known and notorious for being the young girl in a lot of the MCU uh, things. She plays young... Uh, oh, what was she? She was... Oh, she was recently in Star Wars, actually. She's like a Disney uh, darling in these younger roles. So she played a younger Ahsoka Tano. And I, I feel bad for her because I feel like... It just wasn't very good. She also was the insufferable girl, the insufferable little girl in the Barbie movie. So, you know, add that to it. But this is all before any of that, right? This, this I think, came out a bit before 
Barbie, right before Barbie, around the same time. Um, but, oh my gosh, like, all the potential in the world, right? A futuristic a futuristic tale with dinosaurs, Adam Driver in the lead spot, and we ended up getting a film that was just boring. It was a film that did not feature any compelling storytelling. You didn't care about any of the characters. When they were in danger, you almost were cheering for the dinosaurs, but then you saw the dinosaurs, you thought, oh, no, oh, no, 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 I don't want to see those ever again. <laughs> because it was some of the worst CGI I think I've ever seen. So, anyway, 65, a terrible movie, much worse than I think than people, some people remember. So, anyway, that is now, what, the number number six, I think? Because that'd be five, four, three, two, one. So now we're getting to the top five worst films of the year. Number five is going to go to Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. <laughs> oh, if you wanted to see environmentalist propaganda, this is the movie for you. Yeah, environmentalist propaganda added on top of a garbage script, added on top of terrible CGI, and then you get Aquaman and, and the Lost Kingdom. So here is what I put for this one. I put, as Aquaman is relegated to essentially being a cringy, cool, single dad, as Amber Heard is randomly absent and essentially never holding or really even around her son for obvious reasons, the rest of the film falls into the standard superhero action tropes that most of us are thankfully getting tired of. A ridiculous story overused in bloated visual effects and a glaring sense of pointlessness makes this film a proper end to the DCEU, which always felt hopelessly lost. I mean, that if the beginning of this movie... They are clearly making <laughs> Aquaman out to be just cool, cringy, single dad. And I think it is interesting that I don't think at any point in the film Amber Heard, Mira, the mom, right, who's queen, I don't think she's ever actually holding the child. Which, again, makes sense to me because of what I know outside of it, the whole, you know, Amber Heard just being atrocious stuff. But still... Story-wise, it just raises and brings a lot of issues to the to the forefront. So, number five worst film of the year is Aquaman. Uh, it was awful. Another sequel that actually was a little bit worse than that was Shazam 2. Shazam Fury of the Gods. This is my number four uh, worst film of the year. Oh, man. I love the first Shazam film. I still, I still stand that the only good, the only good DCEU movie is the first Shazam film. It, was, it got, I think, in the B range for me. All the other films are C-level films at best. And uh, this film ended up actually being probably one of, if not the worst, DCEU movie. The fact that there is a point in the movie where a young girl says, and this is a real line in the film, taste the rainbow. I don't think I've ever seen more blatant product placement in my entire life. And some people found that funny, and I guess I can kind of see why. But, oh my gosh. Taste the rainbow as she's holding Skittles. A character says in a hundred plus million dollar movie that ended up being one of the biggest flops of the year. So much potential loss. That's the other reason too, right? Not only is the film just objectively bad, but this film had all the potential in the world. This film was coming off of a great first start. The best DC film, the best DCEU film, right, live action, that had really been made up to that point. And it came back being one of the worst films ever made in the DCEU. So that's my number four worst film of the year. 
All right, now we get into the top three. Now we're getting to the worst of the worst of the worst. So my number three worst film of the year is The Flash. You saw this coming, I'm sure. You knew that this eventually had to be on my list. And it is. I mean, when we talk about CGI, and you know that I talk about it quite a bit, I think that we could all agree the absolute worst is this. The fact that the director even came out and said, well, that was actually done on purpose, tells you all that you really need to know about the film. All I'll mention is there are babies and microwaves in the beginning of the film. And it has some of the worst rendering effects I think I've ever, ever seen. Add on top of that all the nonsense outside of the film, inside of the film. And even though there are some that will try to say, yeah, but it's got Michael Keaton Batman, doesn't matter. Michael Keaton's Batman is just not in the film nearly enough to make up for any of the Ezra Miller nonsense. The Superwoman, Supergirl, Superwoman character is fine. I thought the actress that played her was, was, was okay. But again, nothing can just take away from the fact that the story does not make any sense. It is contrived. It is just... The fact that it all leads up to this end image of just PS1, PS2 level graphics of alternate universes with alternate Superman, and you have the Nicolas Cage Superman being shown. It's just such a... It's a film that honestly feels like it tried to pander just enough to make hardcore fans happy enough to defend it. But by doing so, it just ignored ever doing anything to try to actually make up for it. So, anyway, number three worst film of the year is The Flash. All right, now we're getting to the top two. I'm going to surprise everyone with my top choice of the year. All right? it's it's No one's going to see the top choice coming. All right? But my number two worst film of the year, absolutely, you all know it. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Two and a half hours of my life that I will never, ever get back. I thought that Crystal Skull was going to be the worst time I would ever have watching an Indiana Jones movie. And that's why it's not really even an Indiana Jones movie. But then you take into a film an ancient Harrison Ford who should just not be on screen and add to that one of the most insufferable actresses and characters that's ever been written for the screen and the character played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Add on top of that nonsensical time travel nonsense, timey-wimey nonsense that doesn't make any sense. And then at one point, Phoebe Waller-Bridge punching Indiana Jones to save him from himself. You get, again, for many people, the worst film of the year. And if it was your worst film of the year, you know what? I would respect you for it. I would respect this as your number one worst pick. Because it's bad. It is really, really bad. But there is one movie that was worse than anything else. There was one movie that I, I just honestly was grinding my teeth the entire time that I was watching it. And it's a film that no one saw. I'd be surprised if any of you saw it. It was an exclusive on Apple TV. You all thought I was going to say Super Mario Brothers, didn't you? No, it's overrated for sure, but it's not one of the worst films of the year. Okay, come on. That that film is 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 decent. Not not heinous and bogus like these films here, all right? No, 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 no. The worst film of the year is Ghosted. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Ghosted. This is a movie when I ended watching it when I when I finally finished the movie it took me I think two or three days to finish it because I just could not sit through it 
Ana de Armas, someone who I, I've pretty much liked in every single thing that she's done, and uh, Chris Evans as well, who, despite the fact that he's a jerk in real life, is mostly a likable actor. You have a story where essentially a guy is stalking somebody who ends up being a spy. <laughs> and then a romance grows from that relationship rooted in weird, creepy stalking stuff. Add on top of that, a bad performance from Anna de Armas, a wooden performance from Chris Evans, and one of the most convoluted, nonsensical, silly plots that has ever been written for screen. And you you have ghosted. Uh, it's a film that I, I, again, I wish I had watched most of these movies on this list right here. But this is the movie that I can honestly say I wanted to gouge my eyes out throughout the entire process. <laughs> and it makes it even worse when you take into account that Adrian Brody's in the film... Uh, Mike Moe, Amy Sedaris, Tate Donovan, Tim Blake Nelson, amongst others, are in this movie. There, there are very little reasons for this film to not be good, and yet somehow, someway, Dexter Fletcher, whoever that is, along with Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick, Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, somehow end up making just, again, a garbage, like, just look at this image here. Garbage, garbage, garbage. Seriously, everything about this movie is awful. I never thought Anna DeMoss could give a bad performance. But then this movie happened. It's not her fault, but the garbage tier writing direction. One of the worst of the year. And it absolutely is the worst film to come out in 2023. According to yours truly. Let's go ahead and head back into the chat. Probably not going to have time for box office discussion today. Um, I do want to try to end as close to time as I can. But let's go ahead and see how many comments we can get to. Rowdy says, will Tony from Deadline be attending the Ravens to accept his Shield of the Year award? You think he's going to win. But you have no idea. Laura, the modern major general, says, if you want to see Aquafina in a decent movie, watch The Farewell. That's what I've heard. I have heard that. But I'm even that much more now hesitant to ever watch it. Uh, Ryan Lewis, the member, says, do you think the Mando movie will be uh, will do well? No, I don't. I don't think anything from Disney is going to do well. Here's the thing. Disney, last year, had so many movies come out. Only one of them arguably made money. Why would I think any of their films are going to make money? Until it starts actually happening, I'm going to think that it's not. Harwick, I know very little about wrestling, but Randy Savage seems like he would be an interesting subject for a biopic. Oh, for sure. I think there's a lot of wrestlers that would be, but I'll say this much. If you have not seen The Iron Claw, even if you're not a wrestling fan, uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, Victor Fontaine, you did not miss anything by not seeing most of these uh, movies. Let's see. Super tight to say, uh, Modoc screaming... And, and I am not a dick is one of the most embarrassing, hilarious things I've ever seen. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's funny for all of the wrong reasons. Richard Fontaine, a few people like Barbie. It had a 58% decent rating on there. Yeah, again, that's why I like Criticless. Because I think it is a very fair platform. It, it's not just an echo chamber. That's what's great about it. That is what's wonderful about the, about the platform. That's why I recommend everyone go there. Because if you want to have honest conversations, if you want to see honest thoughts and opinions... And if you want to see a well-balanced approach to most things, basically, if something is all-around bogus, all-around heinous on Criticless, you know it's bad. So, the R says he's watched 300, 300 times. Ooh. Ooh. Harwick says, have you seen Zack Snyder's Legend of the Guardians of the, Owl, uh, the Owls of Gahul? No, but the fact that Zack Snyder 
has made it, I have no interest whatsoever. Aether says, Zack Schneider is a decent cinematographer, not a competent director by any means, and an incompetent writer by every measure. I mean, that's the thing. It's so hard to tell whether he even has any cinematographer skills because of everything else and how bad it is. If there was a movie where he was just a cinematographer, for, I would be willing to, to give it a piece. I would be willing to give that a chance. If he had no direction and no power to direct and no power to write, that's the next time I would give Zack Snyder a chance on anything. Jetto Winkster, Pet Troll. Turn is a masterpiece, Odin. I will not tolerate this slander. Seriously, it's not. It really is not as much as you think. There's some great moments in there. Uh, King and Rumshki says, Worst actress, Brie Larson or Sophia Batella? I actually have not seen or know Sophia Batella off the top of my head, so I wouldn't be able to say one way or the other. Nation. In other words, the Marvels broke all new records. Where were Noodle? Time to say, so last month, Disney released a new movie poster to hint at maybe releasing a new Firefly movie. I'm scared that they're trying to pull a willow on something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was fake, uh, Wayward Doodle. I remember something going around, but that I'm pretty sure was just uh, AI and was was very, very fake. Harvick says, 300 is still good if you accept the stylized visuals for what they are. It was never meant to look real. Center it only uh, only good when adapting story. And the thing, I think some people defend 300 because it is... It looks a lot like the graphic novel, um, the comic, right? It looks a lot like the source material. But to me, as someone who, again, is not a comic person, I'm looking at it through a completely film lens. And the effects do not age well. The story also just does not age well. So, and again, in a film format... So I think the problem is I think a lot of people defend it because there is a stronger attachment to the source material than anything else. Uh, Harvick says, uh, Arna Greenblatt also played young Gamora. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, she was in Love of Monsters. Oh, I did not know she was in Love of Monsters. I would agree. I would agree. It's sad when she's given a bad director. Uh, the R says, apologies, restore the Snyderverse. Boo, R. Boo. Harvick. I saw 65, it wasn't bad, but the pacing could have been quicker and the ending throws all logic out the window. Ergo, it's a bad movie. <laughs> it's very, very bad. Oh, man. All right, let's see. Cthulhu, Taco Bell in Demolition Man wins worst product placement for all time. I don't know, man. Taste the Rainbow is pretty bad. Abomination, I've heard people say they liked it because they worked it into the story. Yuck. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if, if people liked it for that reason. It's just the way it goes. Orange says, gotta go. Going to be live on the Barroom Podcast. Hey, have fun, man. Have fun. Let's see. Harwick says, member berries usually aggravate the offense. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, again, you, you thought it was Super Mario. It was not. For going for most overrated, maybe. But. Heartbreak. I saved myself from seeing that one. I uh, hope Ballerina's good. I do as well. Gary Banjo says, uh, and this is why Ballerina will flop in 2024. Ghosted flopped. Ghosted didn't get a theatrical release, Gary. Ghosted was, a, a, is, I'm pretty sure it actually was an exclusive Apple release. Ballerina is going to get a theatrical. So there's already a, a big difference there. Ikthulu, why is Bros not on your list? Come on, that is the worst of worst films because Bros came out in 2022. Bros came out in 2022. And also, why would I ever watch it? <laughs> and I still haven't watched it. Snowgolem. Ghosted should have had Moss, uh, Minecraft, Evans in a swamp like all stalkers should have been. 
Harwick says, Paul Chato said he has inside info that in the OG script for Ghost, the female character would be infatuated with the male spy, but they gender swipped it to make it more empowering to women. Oh man, that's interesting because honestly, it probably would have been more sensible had it been swapped. Because when it's the other way around, it literally just comes across as very, very creepy. And, and just does not work. Uh, Scarlett Johansson would not have saved that. I, I, it wasn't Honor Day or Moss that was the problem. It was the writing and the direction. If those things are the same, then guess what? No one's going to save that. Kitty Chow, Ultimate Warrior is another wrestler that deserves a biopic. Agreed. Sophia Batella is the lead in Rebel Moon and was in Kingsman and Star Trek Beyond. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brie Lars is a better actress. Hands down. Absolutely. Because at least Brie Larson has films like Room and Short Term 12. If that's all that Sophia Patella has, then heartbreak. I love how Lena Headey looks in 300. I bet you do. King and Ramsky says Sophia Patella's lead in Rebel Moon. Got it. Jess Pena says, ahoy. Hardwick says, what do you think of the visuals in Sin City? Again, for me, I, I think that they have not aged well. It's another one of those examples of, I think, some people go back to movies like that and they love it or defend it because it is like the comics. Visually. And look, if that's your thing, subjectively, okay, go right ahead. But objectively, we have to look at that and say, okay, it may have looked good at the time that it was released, and it brought up a lot of the member berries of, oh, wait a minute, it looks just like it. Doesn't mean that the film can actually be good. Now, I will say that Sin City is a much better film. Sin City is a much better film than, than, than 300. I think that Sin City actually holds up a bit more story-wise than 300 does. But it's also been a long time since I've seen Sin City, so I can't say that for sure. But anyway, I am right at time, so whew, we got through the list, everybody. The worst films of the year. Uh, the one thing I will say, because I did kind of mention at the very beginning very quickly, is that Godzilla, um, specifically the MonsterVerse franchise, has just not made any money. And again, the question that I have is not about Toho, because Toho is fine. The question is more about Legendary as being the production company. All right? As you can see from this list, the first Godzilla film cost 160, made 200 million domestic, made 328 internationally, still only adds up to 1.7 uh, 1.7 million dollars in actual profit. Kong Skull Island lost 53 million dollars. Kong King of the Monsters lost 150 million dollars. Kong uh, Godzilla versus Kong lost around 125 million dollars. And again, the reason why these films lost a lot more is because these are the numbers of what they made in China. Together, $492 million made in China. They only get 25% of that. Internationally, those three films made $540 million. They only get 40% of that. And then domestically, where they get the, the biggest portion back, $379 million, of which they only get around 55% back. Also interesting, the first Godzilla film from 2014 had the highest domestic number. And that's actually before you even adjust for things like inflation. So it's interesting to me that the first Godzilla film performs so well. It actually has the highest domestic and the highest international sans China. Which is also why the film was actually able to make its money back. So the ultimate question that I have is, again, how is Legendary paying for this? Or how is Legendary acting in any way to make money? Toho is fine. Toho is getting paid. Toho is, is, is getting all the checks, basically. But the MonsterVerse, 
there's some funny book stuff going on there for sure. But anyway, with all of that being said, I just want to say a thank you to everyone out there. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, I've been keeping an eye on baby Thor who has moved around a few times. So I don't know if he's fully settled yet. He obviously hasn't really eaten a lot today because of being sick. Um, but he seems like he's, he's, he's going to be okay for, for the evening. Uh, again, thank you all for the prayers earlier. If you may have missed it, he, uh, you know, baby Thor got sick earlier, uh, probably has a stomach bug, but by the end of the day, he was acting like his typical self. And so I think he's did it definitely on the mend, getting a lot better. Um, but with any, anyway, with all that being said, I do need to head out. I do need to get some ice cream because my voice is tired. So anyway, with all that being said, you guys are all amazing and beautiful people. Please stay tuned because I do plan on doing a best of the year list as soon as I see the last uh, of a few movies that are left and make sure you check out the Tuesday night's main event. If you have not done so already, I believe that they are live. They should be live around this time and stand look out for the box office preview for this upcoming weekend and a plethora of other content available. I want to give a huge shout out to my members for January. And so we'll go ahead and play that video. Now you guys are all amazing and beautiful people have a wonderful rest of your evening, a blessed Tuesday, blessed time after epiphany. And as always, God bless.